sense of peace, of my labor create an opportunity for, for these people to be able to uh, serve. Um, and it grew from there. We started doing trips to uh, the rescue mission, Long Beach Rescue Mission, and doing trips to the Lydia House, it's the, the women's shelter across the street from rescue mission. We were, we were doing this and I was, I, I was, I was loving it. Um, around the same time, I actually went to a Christian school, Valley Christian, and at the same time, I, I, I was just feeling this, this action, this, this movement, this desire to, to further the kingdom in whichever way I can. And so I, I did a weird thing. I started a, a Christian club at a Christian school, which presumably is everyone there, you know? Um, we called it, oddly enough, After Hours, uh, Christy, wherever you're here. I think that's um, copyright infringement. So um, we, we called it uh, After Hours, and, and it was Monday nights uh, in this old storage room, this old chapel. And and we would bring in youth pastors to speak and, uh, and bands and stuff like that. And we, we just created this for, for a year or so. And um, I remember it was about that time that Ryan came in as my new youth pastor at start of my senior year. And I took him out and bought him a Jamba Juice and sat him down. And I essentially said, stay out of my way. No, I, <laughs> it wasn't that harsh. I introduced him, you know, I was a high schooler at the time. But I, but I just said like, hey, we're doing some cool stuff. Can I keep doing it? You know, can I, can, I, can I keep these things going? And he was, you know, obviously supportive and all that. Shortly after, I went to San Diego for my undergrad, and um, I had always planned to go into business of some kind, uh, you know, possibly something in real estate or something. And, um, but I, I got there, and within three months of my freshman year, I was just feeling this, this missing this missing piece of me. I was, I was missing this, this area where I got to serve and pour into others in youth ministry. So I started looking and started working for a church, but still with this in mind, I'll just do this while I'm in college and after I'll, I'll, go, I'll go into business. And then somewhere in there, Point Loma made me take some Bible classes and I fell in love with biblical scholarship. Seeing this, this world, the, the political, socioeconomic world behind the text written made Scripture feel real to me for the very first time. I, mean, I, could, I could see the audience on the other side, the recipients of these letters, of these texts, and it made it all feel real to me. And somewhere in there, I, I, I just I fell in love with ministry and kind of fell deeper into this call and continued to do youth ministry down there until we moved up here to help plant Soundhouse Church. Now, I use that word call, and that's probably the, the word that we would most often use in that. And Scripture is filled with call narratives. Scripture is filled with examples of individuals who, who God calls upon for a certain task. Tilly, you use this phrase, and I just thought it was very significant, that friends are in your life for a reason, a season, or for life, right? Did I say that right? Somewhere around there? I said, oh, that's a good way to think about it. I think same thing with calling. You'll have many calls in your life, and it might be for a reason, for a singular task in your life. It might be for a season of your life that you're serving in a certain capacity, or it might be a lifetime calling. And we find all of these in Scripture. One of my favorites, just one of the most uh, beautiful, is actually found in Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. And, and Isaiah has this vision, and, and, and just cut into the chases. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That's just such a beautiful, powerful, vivid description of a calling. Now, most of us, myself included, did not receive something like that, this, this, this uh, easily understandable, audible call. But this visual of that, of here I am, send me. 
Now, usually when we think of the word call, we think of vocational ministry. We think of pastors or missionaries. If you hear of someone receiving a call, usually we think like that. But it's very funny, it hit me this past week, that if you go through almost every biblical example of calling, almost none of that is for what you would call proselytizing, for sharing the gospel, for sharing the good news that God has for them. Almost no one in the Bible has that. Uh, probably Jonah, which is a terrible example, um, or maybe Paul. Be the only ones that, that, that are called for that task from God from the beginning. The strongest call narratives we have usually comes from the prophets. And the prophets are called, like Isaiah, for the task of delivering really bad news that everyone takes horribly. And that is their call. They're good. They are a, a, someone who has a relationship with God and, and they're going to other people who know God and they are delivering this bad news. Or the judges who are called to military action. I know some of you are saying, yeah, this love stuff's hard. Why can't I just fight someone for Jesus? And it, it just, it, things have changed, okay? There's no more judges anymore. Um, or the kings who were called to leadership the disciples who were called for what? When Jesus found each of them in their lives, he said, come, follow me. They were called to walk behind him. We usually use this word call for vocational ministry, but all of our biblical examples are really call to a much more normal task, a much more layman task that everyone in our lives can be called to. Calling is for everyone, and we're going to unpack that today and kind of look at three different ways of it, but, but it's important to remember it is recruitment, and it's not a draft. It is not forced. I love the word beckoning. I've been thinking about it all week, that God's calls are a beckoning, an invitation that he's calling us to, but he won't force it. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 is eloquent way of saying this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He looks at these people who need so much, and he says, let's pray that God will inspire people to take action, to serve. Let's pray for more people to hear this call and for more people to respond to that beckoning of service. So as I was saying, there are three kinds of calling that we're going to look at today. They kind of range from most broad to most narrow. Uh, but they are, all three of these are ones that everyone in this room either has experienced or will experience. But the question is, how do you respond? So I want to start to unpack these, and I hope that you, you associate with them as we do so. And the first one is, I would say, humanity's call. Humanity's call. Is that we are called to follow Christ. Every single person. The Creator calls us to be reconciled through Christ and experience a meaningful and fulfilling relationship with Him. I love 2 Peter 3.9. Uh, the, the church is uh, in a bit of distress, and he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but, ex but everyone to come to repentance. God desires to be reconciled with everyone. God desires 
salvation for everyone. So everyone receives humanity's call that we are called by our Creator back to Him. The second one is disciples' call. That we are called as disciples. Once you are a believer, when you've answered humanity's call, you are called to be ambassadors of His kingdom, furthering its mission and spreading its culture. Taking, I love this thought, taking a proactive step towards furthering His kingdom. Um, I was thinking of the phrase company men, you know, if you hear, if you hear that in the, oh, Johnson's a company man kind of thing, right? It, it, it's, it's more than they're doing a good job. It's that they uh, are carrying the mission of this company forward with ownership. They take stock in it. They take ownership and they are, they are carrying the, 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 that company's mission forward. And that's in a way how we can think about this call as a disciple, it's taking God's values, God's mission, His, His plan, His culture with ownership and extending that out to others. Um, my wife and I were visiting family of hers uh, in New Delhi in India, and we got to stay where they were. They work in the State Department on the embassy, and it was a really cool experience. It's the second largest embassy in the world, and uh, it's massive. Baseball stadium in there and just a whole neighborhoods and all this massive. But we got to kind of tour some stuff, and, and um, there was this big building with three floors that, that served different governmental purposes, right? And one was kind of the political side where they'd write reports about what was going on in every little pocket of that region of India. Uh, another was the military level, you know, and, and then there was this one that I was so surprised with. It was, it was this business floor. And essentially what they said, I didn't know the U.S. government was doing this. Essentially what they did is they were trying to secure contracts for U.S. companies in, in India. And that we do this throughout the entire world. That, uh, and not just defense stuff, but everything. If you're a construction company, they're trying to help you get jobs there. If you sell goods, imports and exports, whatever, they're, they're trying to kind of help orchestrate that. And I guess it's good. It, it kind of funnels, you know, um, uh, tax revenue back to the states. But I didn't realize that was happening. How much the government was looking to help U.S. businesses expand into these countries. But that's almost a good way of thinking about this second call. It is taking God's business as your own. That you become personally invested in what God is trying to do and you're looking for areas that you can expand and further that within your own world. There's a beautiful passage uh, in 2 Corinthians that talks about this. And it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It talks about becoming uh, a new creation, about, about our identity being replaced when we, when we become a Christian, that we are given this reborn identity, an identity where we are seen through Christ. He says, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new, there is a new creation. Everything old has, has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He says, look, the world is going to understand God. It's like a parable. The world's going to understand God through you. And in the same way, God's saying that I reconciled you to myself so you can be agents of reconciliation out in the world, causing healing where there's division, 
helping to bring people who do not know God to a knowledge of God, reconciling a broken and divided world. Or as it says, uh, another way of saying it is in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It says, You are the light of the world. He's talking to his followers. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the entire house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's funny. Um, Sometimes it's difficult to find supporting passages for the direction of the sermon. This was the opposite. At one point, my sermon was like 12 pages long. And there's, the Scripture says so much about this idea of, of being ambassadors of God's kingdom, of furthering God's kingdom. Um, I slimmed it down. Don't worry. I, I cut it down a bit. Uh, but this, this idea of furthering God's kingdom, being a witness. Um, I have an example um, an example that's, it's a little ridiculous, but it's almost the way I visualized it when I first thought of this idea of, um, first rule is don't stand in front of the speaker, so we'll see if this works, uh, of furthering God's kingdom, okay? Um, I used to love conquest games, right? Like Monopoly, Risk. Um, has anyone ever played Axis and Allies? Uh, it's an interesting game. If you've ever played Risk and you said, I love it, it's just too short, Axis and Allies is for you. It's that, but like 10 times longer. Um, I used to love those games and this expansion. And it's almost, it's seeing that God is expanding, that God's kingdom is moving all around you and is expanding its mission and its culture. And, and it's, it's like this. I mean, you know, if you sit in the front, you're going to get used. And that's, that's how it works. Grab a handle. Grab a handle. Maybe toss them behind you too. And then Mark and Christy, grab some handles. Um, you get the idea. Kristen, can you, can you grab a handle as well? It's this idea of God's kingdom is expanding, and your call is to grab above you and pull it beyond you. That you recognize God's kingdom at work, and you're stretching it where you can. In your own family, with your own neighbors, your own place of work, you are, you are grabbing a hold of God's kingdom his mission, its culture, and you are pulling it out, seeking as an ambassador to expand it. Thank you. You guys can like wrap that all up or something. That, that's fine. So if you, if you take that to heart and you say, okay, I, I see myself as, as, as a part of God's kingdom, but also called to expand God's kingdom, to grab a corner and to stretch it out, how do I know what God cares about? How do I know what his culture is? There's so much scriptural example. I'll, I'll list a couple that are just um, some of my favorite, if, if that's okay. Uh, Proverbs 31, uh, 8 through 9. Some of these are short, some of these are not, but they're just great visuals of things God cares about. Speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. I, Isaiah 1, 10 through 17. This, I, I just love this one. This is God who is looking at a people that are, are honoring the religious patterns and honoring the, uh, the, the religious practices, um, but not actually taking on the heart of God, not taking on the culture of God, just taking on his calendar. And it sounds like this. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of God, you people of Gomorrah. I like when your parent uses your middle name. If he's, if he's, if he's throwing down 
those names. He's upset. Um, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of the lambs or the goats. This is still in the sacrificial system. He's saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't take all of this religious practice and holiday when on the inside you don't care about my culture. You don't care about what I value and care about. When you come to me and appear before me, you, uh, who asked this from you, from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bring offerings, uh, bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath are calling and calling of convocation, these religious holidays. I cannot endure, this is the sentence, I cannot endure solemn assembly with iniquity. I can't endure you coming into church with your head down. Oh, I've made some mistakes this week. God, I'm sorry, but I have every intention of doing it all again this week. Right? I can't endure this hypocrisy. I mean, we're broken people. We will continue to sin, and that's understood. But he said, look, look at your, your holiday means nothing to me. A holiday that God himself instituted means nothing to me. If your heart doesn't mirror his heart, where was I? <laughs> okay. Okay. Verse 14. Your new moons and, uh, and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. When you stretch out your hands, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Listen to this. I think he's referring to the image of blood on their hands. <laughs> Remove the evil from your doings and be from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Stop busying yourself with all this religious uh, practices. Rather care about the things I care about. This is what his culture looks like. In Micah 6, 6 through 8, similar but a little different and shorter. It's the next passage there. Oh, yeah. With, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn son for my transgression, uh, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. That's a weird one. Not to be merciful, but to be someone who loves acts of mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. These were just the quick examples that I just thought off the top of my head. But if you're asking this question of, of what does God's kingdom's culture look like? I would define expanding his mission as, as John 3.16, as, as, as witnessing to others. But what does it look like to expand the culture of God? Well, look, these are the things that he cares about, and you can find so much more. You can find so much more. But how can you be an agent who in your sphere of influence, in your realm, you are seeking to grab hold of God's kingdom and expand it around you? So that is the second call, the disciples' call, that every believer has upon them. And the last call, the one that I'm going to uh, spend some time on, is your call. If humanity's call, we have the disciples' call, and then lastly, we have your call. We are called to unique and specific tasks 
at times of our lives, for reasons, seasons, or for life. Everyone, all of us, you, have specific calls and unique calls upon your life. I guarantee it. Um, and they can be dramatic. They can be the moving to Africa kind of thing. Or they can be small. They can be that conviction that you feel when you see someone and you just say, they're not okay. And you decide to share an encouraging word. Linda, I, just, I see you right now. Linda, you're so good at this. You are. You are such a good encourager uh, and very perceptive when people are um, in need of encouragement. And it's easy just to say, well, I'm just, I, just, I saw this and so I did it. But no, this is, this is God using us to grab a hold of his kingdom and expand it, to stretch it over that person sitting next to you. So how do I discover my calling? If you're asking yourself this, how do I discover my calling? I, I don't know the exact answer, but I'll tell you what I'll, I'll usually refer to someone if they ask me that. And it's something that, that we have been asked multiple times is, I want to get involved. I want to do something for God's kingdom. Where do I start? I always encourage people to follow your passions, your experiences or relational connections, and your skill set. I, I was thinking about this, and uh, I couldn't get one visual out of my head, and it's Bubba from Forrest Gump. Um, and how much this guy just loves shrimp. Um, can we play this? It's, just, it's short. I love that. Um, I love that this guy just loves shrimp so much and was raised in that shrimping family. And so his plans for after the war are to go and work on a shrimp boat. Of course. That's what he's passionate about. So when we talk about where could God use me in his kingdom, I always encourage people, what are you already passionate about? Because who created you uniquely the way you are? God. Might he have done that to position you so that you are the person who's best to talk to that coworker? You are the person who's best to talk to that, that person who shares a similar interest, best to, to witness, to, to show them the love of Christ that maybe they've never experienced. The best person to break down bad uh, stereotypes of what Christians are of, or of who God is and dismantle those bad views Maybe you're the best person for it. So I always say to people to follow their passions, their experiences, their, their relational connections, their skill sets. A, a beautiful example, I thought so, comes from the book of Acts. And none of us really know the book of Acts, right? We haven't spent like the past year in it. But uh, I just, this one stuck out to me. And I just want to share it with you. It's Acts 18, verse 24 through 28. It says, Now there, were, there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, and he was an eloquent man, well versed in the scriptures. 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. I'm going to pause there for a second. One is that they believe that he's, he was an, or, um, an orator, not an oracle, an orator. That was a profession back then. Um, Socrates was an orator. And uh, it's a weird thing is, is wealthy families would pay to send their kids to go learn how to be an orator, how to argue in court, how to make a good sales pitch, just how to use words eloquently uh, for the sake of that family business. And so it's believed he was that and that he had uh, followed the teachings of John the Baptist. And so he knew the kingdom of God was at hand. Uh, he knew that, that the kingdom had come. He just didn't know the kind of final answer. Verse 26, he began to teach boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God uh, to him more accurately. And when he wished to cross over into Achai, uh, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Now, I want you to see this. He joins the Christian movement. On his arrival, he greatly helped those through the grace had become believers, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public who said that Jesus was not the Messiah, showing by the scriptures that the, the Messiah is Jesus. I love this as an example of passion, experience, and skill set. He was an orator. He was someone who could compel and move people. And so he became a Christian, joined God's moving, expanding kingdom, and he used what he had, his voice. 1 Corinthians 7, 17-20 is a good one too. It says, Let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned. That's interesting. Let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned, to which God called you. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of this call already circumcised? In other words, was anyone a Gentile, not a part of the Jewish uh, um, community? Let him not seek to remove the marks of the circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? I'm sorry, that would be the Gentile. Uh, let him not seek circumcision. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But obeying the command of God is everything. Let each of you remain in the condition in which you were called. This is talking about whether you identify and were a part of the Jewish community or the Gentile community, but let's put this into our terms. I don't think that you should uh, take some radical step unless you feel God has called you to it with some sense of confirmation. I would start with where are you now? Where are you? I was in my youth group and I asked my youth pastor, what can I do? Start where you are now. Start with what skill sets you have now. Uh, you know what's an interesting phenomenon is um, if you've ever done any short-term missions trips is everyone will find that it's much easier to talk about your faith in another country than it is to talk about your faith in your place of work, in your family, to anyone who knows you. It's a weird, humbling reality, but you feel more vulnerable. So it's a challenge. But look where God has placed you. Look what passions he's given you, what skill sets he's given you. How can you use those for his kingdom in that way? Um, I was just thinking about this, and uh, I thought of one of my friends um, who's not here, but uh, Curtis Corver, and he's a firefighter, and uh, he became really upset hearing at the, the high risk of uh, suicide in the fire department. And so he is, took all these qualification classes, whatever, and signed up to be a mental health advocate 
He is a firefighter paramedic, but he's, he's listing himself as, hey, I'm available to talk. The department doesn't really like to talk that much, but if anyone wants to, he's there, he's available. Um, he is where he was, but his heart was moved and he just made himself available. Um, I was thinking of the Romeros and the Coens right there. Um, they invited us to come play soccer with them at, uh, at a park on Sunday afternoons or evenings. And we showed up and uh, I'm an introvert, which is weird being on a stage, but I feel exhausted after this. It's not what I naturally want to do. Um, and so I, I show up and it, it just almost stressed me out watching it is they're just just shaking hands with random families who walk up and say do you want to come play soccer with us and they're just like basically starting like an intramural league of everyone just like joining in and and all these all these kids running around and all, all these different families um, and they were they're just open with hospitality seeking to welcome others they were using what they had what they loved but being aware of what God's work could be done. Um, I, Brian Cockle, I don't know if you're here, um, he's in IT. And when we started setting stuff up here at the property, he was here getting us going. And if you remember on Mother's Day, he was pulling shots and, uh, and being a barista as well. Um, uh, Haley Hoffines, they ended up moving right after that she thought of this, but she loved baking. If you, I think she had an Instagram, all of these like, you know, beautiful cakes and, and stuff that she would decorate. And she said, I want to do something with that. What can I do with that? And then at the time, we were, we were serving at uh, New Life Beginnings, and she said, maybe I could make a cake once a month for like the birthdays of the kids who are there. Um, but you think about what a blessing that is, and she's just using what she's already passionate about, what she already has available. Um, Miguel Toro and, and, uh, and Brian Vogel, Vogel, Vogeli. Okay. Mortified that I called you out. Sorry. Um, they're, they're some of the most mechanical guys I know. And whenever we had our U-Haul trying to get to our mobile setup at Rogers Middle School and that truck would break, we'd call Miguel and Miguel would get that truck running to get back to, to the school. And multiple times, it almost didn't happen. And uh, Brian, I just, I, I've seen you recently using your incredible skill around a motor to help connect with guys. Um, and that's awesome. Just use what you know. I think my, one of my favorite examples was uh, Jim Birmingham. Jim and Sue Birmingham, they, they moved to Arkansas, but uh, they were very open about the fact that they were you know, 30 years sober now, something like that. And I remember having a situation where someone um, I was close with uh, was having a substance abuse issue, blatantly bad, messy, and um, I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, so I asked Jim to breakfast with a guy, and, uh, and the guy is just talking and talking and talking about, and, and you know, all these, everything around him that's so, so difficult and everything, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. And Jim's sitting there stirring his coffee saying, doesn't matter, go to a meeting, doesn't matter. He kept, kept saying, you can't solve that until you get sober. And, but, but what about this thing? Yup. You can't solve that until you get sober. And uh, I was in shock of watching this, like almost just this, this not cold, but, but just so blunt, you know, where I, I was there as the pastor trying to hear him out. And, uh, but the more we got away from that, I realized how, how, how right he was. He used his expertise. He had gone through the same thing himself, and, uh, and, and he was able to speak into that in a way that I wasn't. He used his experiences for the kingdom of God. We use our passions, our experiences, and our skill sets. That is a great starting point. 
there are a million hover examples of people who are called to something that is counter to their passions, skill set, and experiences. Um, I've had some examples there. Moses, uh, David, uh, Gideon, most of the disciples, right? If you were in the fishing boat, in your family's fishing boat, it's because you couldn't make it in other ways. And, uh, and yet they were called, Peter's called out of the fishing boat to eventually lead the entire church. Um, Ryan, you've shared your testimony a bit and, and what a shock it was when you ended up serving in youth ministry because you, just, that, that you never saw yourself there. You felt so out of place when you first started there. Sometimes we'll receive calls which might appear as a conviction of the Holy Spirit or might be a prodding of another believer saying, you should go, you should sign up for that, you should go do that. That feels so counter to that, but that only God could be the reason. Um, and by the way, just to said sign up for that, I want you all to know, at the end of most services, we encourage you to volunteer in ministries of the church. That is not necessarily what this is. This is not a, a huge sermon-long plug just to say, volunteer in kids. Um, this is saying, pursue call in your life. Be sensitive to the ways that God might be wanting to use you for his kingdom. Many people do find that getting to serve in children's ministry, getting to lead or be a part of a worship experience, and that's awesome. Um, but that is, is not the goal. I hope you see that. It'd be like if we were teaching generosity and it all came down to put money in the, in the box in the back. That, that, that's a smaller thing than just the heart of generosity. In the same way, this is about following God's call on your life. It might be just finally talking to a neighbor that you don't want to talk to, but you feel this conviction about it. Um, it, it, is, it is simply being sensitive to that. But yeah, sometimes we can experience things that are outside of our skill set, our experience, our passion. I want to end with one last, one last little thing. It's a little bit bigger of a piece, but it's, a, but it's a simple. It's this idea that God will use you not in proportion to your passions, your experience, your skill set, but God will use you in proportion to your willingness to serve. He will use you in proportion to your willingness to serve. And I'm going to read this passage, uh, like 17 verses, but it's just, it's just, it just builds. It's so good. It's, it's Exodus chapter 4. And if you don't know this, Moses uh, has, has run into the desert. He's been living in the desert for 20 years, 25 years, something like that. And then he has this moment where uh, God appears to him in this burning bush, and God uh, identifies himself, and then God calls Moses to go back and help to bring his people out of um, Egypt, out of slavery. Then Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, and the staff became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand in his cloak, and he took it out, and his hand was leprous, as white as snow. And the Lord said, put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. If they will not believe even those two or heed you, you shall take some water out of the Nile and pour it on dry ground. 
and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to them, God just said, God just went like Hogwarts on him and showed him all these very miraculous things right in front of him. Moses' response, O Lord, I have not been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now, that you have spoken to your servant. God shows him all this incredible signs, and he says, I'm not a good public speecher. What am I supposed to do with this? And he says, then the Lord said to him, oh, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord said, like, I did all these incredible things. You don't think I can give you the right words? But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, what of your brother Aaron? I just, I, this is sounding exactly like driving in the car, and like the 10th time my daughter asked me something, you know, just, okay, fine, let's, 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 let's just change the plans then. We're not going to the playground. Okay, what of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming to meet you, and when he sees your heart, will be glad. You shall, uh, uh, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. I will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. Take in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs." I bring this up to highlight what it was that Moses missed out on. Look, the work got done. God said, okay, I'll use someone else. But Moses missed out on getting to be used in a way that he never dreamed possible. Um, I used to lie about what I do while getting haircuts. Um, it was a long time ago. It was mostly in college. And, and here's why. Very simple. And then I'm going I'm to pray in a second because I need it. Um, it would go like this. I would sit down, 20-something years old, and the hairstylist would get started. And, and uh, um, they would begin by saying everything they did that weekend, right? And they would just be, oh, went to these parties and did this and just, just, just talking, talking. I guess they assumed that I, I you know, I like to party or something. Anyway, so they're just going on. And then finally, they'd get it all out of their system, everything they did, everything about their relationships, everything about, and then they would say, so what do you do? And I would say, oh, I work for a church, or I'm, I'm a youth pastor. We would then finish the rest of the haircut with them walking back everything they did. Well, it wasn't that many drinks. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I didn't really say that, like, well, no, it was just a kiss. We didn't go like that, but, you know, like, they walked us all the way back, and I'd be like, it's, it's fine. I just, I have my coupon. I just want my haircut. Like, I just, um, <laughs> this is not confession. There's a lot of people in here. Uh, anyways, and, and so they'd walk this back, and then they'd even go into, like, well, you know, I, I used to go to church growing up, and the, the songs were nice, you know, Christmas is fun, Christmas presents, you know, it's, it's, they're just like this guilt as they're trying to like just take, take this, this back. And so I'd say, oh, I'm in, I'm in business. And they'd say, oh, okay. And we'd move on. Um, anyways, like I said, I was like in college when I had to do that. Just because I just avoiding this introverted in me. Just avoiding how, how do I get my hair cut without this turning into confession. However, I feel bad about that in hindsight because what I missed out on 
was the ability to be used. How could I have done like what Jesus did with, um, with the, um, uh, the prostitute or, or the woman at the well or uh, the woman who had been bleeding for years? How could I have been able to offer this person a word of grace and to be seen by someone who represents faith in a way that was not condemning? I'm, I missed out on that. Um, Calling is all around us. You are called as people. You are called as disciples to further the kingdom. And God wants to use you in specific ways. He has people in mind, and he says, Kristen would be the perfect person to love that person, to show them my grace. And it's just a matter of how do we respond. And I pray that more and more we will recognize this and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that as crazy as it seems, you choose to use us for your kingdom. You choose to recruit us for your purposes. And God, I pray that For those of us who need to hear this today, that we stop running from that and start listening to it. We stop running from it and start considering how you might want to use them for your purposes, how they can reach up and grab that kingdom of heaven that is above them and extend it over the person next to them that needs to experience you for the first time. How we can be agents of of reconciliation how we can be lovers of mercy in a way that contradicts the world around us. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you stand and join me in this last song?